0: And dwells here. And then we by the pack, so we them. And even if you don't, then you do cause you cool with them. They be like I only went to school with them. Let's get it.
1: Welcome to Color Correction, a Jesus podcast about race and faith from the perspective of an Asian guy, a black girl, and a white guy too. Uh, my name is Andrew, I use he him pronouns, I'm Asian. I'm Chris, I'm white, and I use he him pronouns. And Bethany is taking uh, some time for herself today, some well-deserved time for herself, but we do have a special guest, um, Pastor Donna Jones. Mm -hmm. Um, Pastor Donna, you want to introduce yourself and tell us who you are?
0: (laughs) Sure. Um, I'm Donna. I'm African-American, and I use she, her, hers pronouns. Uh, I pastor the Cookman Beloved Community Baptist Church, and I'm also executive director of the Metropolitan Christian Council of Philadelphia.
1: All right. So uh, we're very excited to have Pastor Donna with us today for what we're going to talk about. Um, but we'd like to start off our podcast by talking about things we wish we had brought up or want to address from previous episodes. Um,
2: so I was looking back to the episode we had with with Wes um, where we talked about Third Culture Kid, and there's some questions about what that meant.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so I just looked on. I, I just googled third culture kid." Um, Wikipedia comes up because um, there are some questions about like what second and first culture were, and they're not. They're actually not really things. Really, um, they're not. They're like not well defined or what? No. Well, it's like a third culture kid is is someone in that liminal space between mm-hmm. their parents' home countries. Um, so they're like they're, they're they're the children of immigrants, and they're, um, and they're like wherever they're they're situated contextually. Mm-hmm. So that's the three cultures coming together. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay. That's it. Cool. I mean, speaking of that, we did receive a piece of listener mail from somebody who wanted to specifically chime in as a third culture kid. I'll I'll read part of it here. Uh, The listener says, third culture kid here. I saw the title of this episode and saw that Wes was the guest and avoided listening to it. I knew it would bring up feelings <laughs> for me, and I was afraid of going there. After listening just now, my experience was much different than I thought. I ended up taking notes. So uh, the listener talks about being white and being raised in Peru. Um I would ride in a taxi and people would right away notice that my Spanish is very good. The taxi driver would ask me where I was from, and I would explain that I was born in Peru, but my parents were from the U.S. Then the driver would either say, Oh, so you're Peruvian, or Oh, so you're not Peruvian. I often went into experiences without a solid idea of who I was and would wait for that interaction in order for me to know how to act. When someone, I can't remember who, asked Wes, So do you just assume you'll never belong anywhere? I think I asked that. Yeah, I answered in my head right away, yes. Obviously, it's different for me as I am not mixed race, but I've had to do a lot of reckoning with the fact that I can look like I belong in white U.S. culture even though I often feel like I'm pretending or like there is something I don't know. Hmm. Um, and the listener talks about ways where they feel thankful for being a third-culture kid. She ends on this. One time, my dearest Peruvian friend told me that I laugh differently in Spanish than in English, which I had never noticed I really appreciate him saying that to me. It happily reminds me that I contain multitudes. That's amazing. That's really cool, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. Like, I don't think of a laugh as being something that changes
1: in a different language. Uh, Yeah. um, That's pretty cool. Right. Yeah. So, um, the reason that we have Pastor Donna here today is because in our previous episode, we were talking about prison abolition, and we were wrestling with the fact that there were certain deeply held things that came up in conversations that we had. Chris, in your conversation Mm -hmm. with the Defense Hub, me and my conversations with other Asian Americans about hate crime legislation. And we were wrestling with the fact that even though these deeply felt things are issues that we agree need work on, Mm -hmm. the solutions that society throws at these problems are always the same. That is prison and the carceral system. Right. And we were talking about how um, prison is not a solution, but we were also talking about how can we stretch our imaginations to think of ways of other solutions other than what the ones that society throws at us, Mm -hmm. just the closest available thing, the one that's enforced – to us every time we, you know, turn on the TV or, you know, watch a Batman movie, you know, (laughs) anything. It's always the same solution in the cultural imagination. It's always locking somebody up. So what are alternatives to that? That's what we were thinking. And Chris had the fantastic idea to, well, Chris, what made you want to bring Pastor Donna here?
2: Yeah. So Pastor Donna and I met through, um, I I learned about Pastor Donna through a town hall that the Defenders Association offered to um, their... They're like pre-entry coalition, and it and it was so they could talk about um, this initiative um, called restorative justice that um, they are working in partnership with um, Pastor Donna's organization.
1: Well, what is uh, Pastor Donna? Why don't you mm-hmm. tell us about this? What is this? What uh, what exactly is this?
3: Yeah,
0: is this, this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the this is uh, you know just a little bit. Um, because we're also talking about how we live out our faith mm-hmm. uh, in, these, uh, in these days. And um, so one of the scriptures that I know has been guiding this work is 2 uh, Corinthians, you know, God in Christ reconciling the world to himself mm-hmm. made us ministers of reconciliation. So be ambassadors of reconciliation kind of thing. Um, but uh, so MCCP started uh, last spring. Uh, by God's grace, working on uh, something that we call the Restorative Cities Initiative. And so I called because we're thinking, okay, what would keep Philadelphia from being a restorative city? Right. So I called some of the other cities, and what I found out was the way it's done in most cities, which is fine, actually, is the government you know, says, we want to do that. And then you know they bring get funding from maybe the Department of Labor or somebody like that, and uh, or a big uh, nonprofit or not nonprofit but a big um, MacArthur Foundation or somebody, mm, yeah. and they find a nonprofit to really be the hub okay. of mm-hmm. all things restorative justice usually. And uh, in talking with some of the folk that are involved in this and talking about what we were doing, um, what we have is a community organizing model. So mm-hmm. it doesn't start with the government. It doesn't start uh, with a big big uh, nonprofit or anything like that. And um, they were like, well, how do you get the community involved? And we're like... Community organizing—it's <laughs> starting with mm-hmm. the community, yeah. and then the community plan is what would be adopted, mm-hmm. or accepted, or whatever the language is by government, because mm-hmm. government should support the community. So we, um, so our model was that we would start with the trainings, and we started doing trainings uh, in in different neighborhoods, coming to a neighborhood near you. Yes, mm-hmm. Circle of Hope could be a sponsor. I know, I know. Uh we're ready to come. Yeah. Um, so once we. Um, Generally, you start training, and uh, we usually reach out to residents, congregations. um, It's wonderful if if both of those things fit in the same sentence. Mm -hmm. And we invite people and invite 40 people to a training. And those 40 people need to be cross-sector because uh, what we're saying is that our neighbors – are both people that have a physical address in a neighborhood. Mm-hmm. But those folk who drive in from Jersey, but they spend more time in Philly than they spend in Jersey, are also our neighbors. Yeah, mm-hmm. That taco people down the street where I got the great tacos, <laughs> neighbors, <Yes>. uh, <laughs> whether they live here or not, they're here all the time. Mm-hmm. So, um, So the first step is just to do the training. Out of the training, we present uh, the history of restorative practices, Mm -hmm. and restorative practices are more uh, than restorative justice. So what we're teaching is the tools for restorative practices, Mm -hmm. which can be applied to economics, can be applied to conflict, can be uh, applied to problem solving, critical thinking, everything. Um, In doing that, we finally do get to restorative justice. As an, op- as an opportunity to use the practices for justice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Troy Wilson, who is a Philadelphia resident and an attorney, uh, came to one of those trainings. And he uh, is a private attorney, African-American private attorney. Uh, he and his wife have a firm in Philly. And they had done what several private attorneys have done. Uh, they were representing people who were involved in civil unrest last summer pro bono. So he had some clients, and they, uh, you know, after you know how attorneys are, they're like, okay, Mm -hmm. how can I do right by you? So he's a private defense attorney, and uh, he said, let's have a restorative justice uh, program. Mm -hmm. So the model that he came up with was that uh, anyone who came, who did the did ten hours of community service. In a, in a neighborhood, a neighborhood engagement model, mm-hmm. uh, people could choose their community service. And once they did their community service, they'd have their records expunged, and they would have their charges dropped. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when he came to the class, you know, we started talking and I said, well, that's a great restorative response, mm-hmm. but it's not really restorative justice. So he was like yeah because with restorative <laughs> justice, you want to have the conversation with everyone who is impacted mm-hmm. right so if brother yang here if you were um somebody who had broken a window somewhere and you did community service, mm-hmm. the persons whose window you broke. Mm-hmm you have no relationship with. Right, yeah. You know, no way of talking about what was going on, how mm-hmm. you felt about it, how they felt about it. So there's no reconciliation in that. Mm-hmm. You just kind of, it's like going in any other thing that we have in our judicial system. Mm-hmm. It's very punitive. This is your punishment. You're going to do 10 hours of community service. Right, right. So. Um, I thought that's what you meant. Yeah. yeah. So what we did is we uh, added in the RJ side. Mm-hmm. The other thing about restorative justice, it needs to be voluntary. People have to acknowledge some accountability for what happened. Mm -hmm. And with civil unrest, it's a little messy because uh, people impacted and people who have been wronged. Now you're in in really muddy territory because there were people who were done wrong who were arrested. There were business folk who done wrong Mm -hmm. there were neighborhood folk who done wrong Mm -hmm. so now it's a little messy so we're like the good thing about restorative justice work is you put everybody in a room and say okay everybody was impacted say Mm -hmm. i and people get a chance to volunteer to Mm -hmm. be a part of that piece i want to have the conversation uh with the people who have been impacted by this and for, for what Troy developed, now we have two arms, so we really, three arms, so now we have real choice, mm-hmm. because about 700 people were arrested all right. together. Yeah, it was
2: a large number. Yes.
0: So some people have chosen the restorative justice approach. I'm going to sit down face-to-face, uh, talk about how we were all impacted. Mm-hmm. Um, another, maybe third of the folk have decided, no, I'm going to do community service. I don't need to see nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's maybe another third that are saying, I'm going to go to court. Yeah. I'm going to fight this thing. Mm-hmm. And that's important for restorative justice, that sense of um, choice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The other thing that's neat about this is that this did not start in City Hall, and it did not start with the public defenders. Yeah, yeah. It started with a resident who's an attorney who had a couple of clients. Mm-hmm. And then he reached out to some other attorneys. Uh, again, still hadn't gotten to public defenders yet. And they were like, oh, no, we want to do this with our clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then they reached out to the, the public defenders. And they were like, oh, so they had like 595 clients. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and then they reached out to uh, the DA's office. And um, in the middle of all of that, uh, our model was put in there into the master model. Mm-hmm. But it's very important for people to recognize, I think, that Uh, What a difference it it can make for someone who's a citizen or Mm -hmm. someone who's a resident. When when people come up with an idea like that and knock on the door of government, it's a lot different than it being imposed. Mm -hmm. We also do this without, we don't accept government funding. So MCCP, we're funded by donations. Mm -hmm. See our website, www.metropolitanchristiancouncil.com, donate button. Anyway, (laughs) but it's all donation driven. Mm -hmm. And that has given us a lot of flexibility because a lot of times um, projects that start at the government level, uh, they don't allow a real restorative process. Because they're going to say you got to get it done by then. You have to get it done this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they, uh, suddenly you have all these uh, additional hurdles. Right. So this way we can do it as close as we can to being a restorative model. Yeah. I,
2: how is it going? Because you guys have been. Doing it for not very long.
0: Mm -mm. No, we started hosting our first circles uh, last week. Okay. so Okay. (laughs) That's very new. (laughs) Um, And we'll be going. uh, It's funny. We we had intended to go until uh, when when we first started to work on pulling the whole plan together. We were thinking Mm -hmm. six months, you know, get through 700 people. And then the judge on the case was like, no, you guys have to be done by June 7th.
2: Oh,
3: So
0: we've been having trainings and circles and circles and trainings and orientations, you know, pretty much almost every day. Um, So when we started doing the trainings Mm -hmm. uh, and we started to uh, prepare people to be circle facilitators in neighborhoods, it was because what we're looking to do and we've started doing Mm -hmm. is establishing restorative neighborhoods. In each of the sections of the city. Mm -hmm. So now Germantown, Mount Airy, Mm -hmm. they're ready to go. West Philly, pretty much ready to go. We just did a training. So as soon as 40 people come to the training, then we come and we work with that group on developing a neighborhood restorative plan. Mm -hmm. And out of that plan, we also work on uh, restorative response teams. So that way, uh, if we look at the tragic death of Walter Wallace, Mm -hmm. for instance, last summer, Uh, There were many ways that the neighbors were saying, wait a minute, we know this guy, we know his mom, we know it. And and the consortium, the mental health consortium is literally around the corner. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the cops came in gun blazing. So to be able to do this, we also have a public policy class. So when people develop their neighborhood plan to be able to sit down then with their police districts, with the the behavioral health folk, with the schools, Mm -hmm. and say, okay, this is how we want to ensure Mm -hmm. uh, a restorative community. Yeah. Well, in
1: terms of this restorative neighborhood, mm-hmm. let's say that a neighborhood becomes a restorative neighborhood. What does
0: that mean? I'm so glad to talk to the <laughs> yes. about that. What that means is that mm-hmm. there's uh, there are neighbors who are interested, right. who are, are invited to training by wonderful organizations and congregations like Circle of Hope. Okay. Uh, and once people are trained, they really start to put it together. Mm-hmm. Um, we really come with training and coaching, mm-hmm. and we train. Uh, this is the this is restorative justice. This is restorative practices. This is the history and the theory. Mm-hmm. We ground it in the indigenous work of restorative practice over millennia, uh, so that so people aren't grounded to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. or the UK or something. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like, wait a minute. You know the Shoshone people here, and the Pueblo people there, and mm. the, the Aboriginal people in Australia. There are so many people groups who've been doing this as a matter of course. Mm. Right. In America, we're the most incarcerial or whatever. We lock mm-hmm. up more people than anybody else on the planet. Right. Right. Pennsylvania locks up more people than most other na- other states, mm. and we also lock up more kids. Okay. So other countries are doing this, mm-hmm. and it's a very base. Uh, project that that just says, let's talk about that. I can't yeah. believe you broke broke the window, and I right. can't believe you hit him in the face for breaking a window. Mm-hmm. How do we make this better? Yeah, that's more normal. Yeah.
1: So the idea being that when conflict arises in a community, mm-hmm. the automatic response isn't policing exactly. and prison. It's some there's some there's some kind of structure in the community that can help mm-hmm. resolve that conflict. Exactly. Yeah, I'm interested in what you're saying about these restorative practices mm-hmm. because. Um, I, one, of the, one of the difficulties that we've run into is um, people saying, well, what's the alternative? What else yeah. can we do? Exactly. So when we, you talk about restorative practices, what are we talking about?
0: I am so glad you asked that <laughs> question. That's what I'm uh, what we're talking about are, are several things. One is circles. Mm-hmm. And uh, what circles are, everybody sits in. I'm a pastor, so I do that. Yeah. Everybody sits in? Uh A circle. A circle, yes. (laughs) And that's because there's – so there could be eye contact. Mm -hmm. There's no barrier in that circle. Um, It makes people more vulnerable, which is always good. Mm -hmm. You can see each other that way. And there are basic restorative questions. They're really difficult to remember, and I hope you all remember this. The first question is, what happened? Yeah. You know, uh, how did it impact you? Mm-hmm. uh do you have any questions for anybody else uh you know just really getting that conversation going and then uh to get to a place where where uh empathy is now at, at people are understanding where people are coming from
3: mm-hmm.
0: uh people uh conciliation happens the the temperature goes down mm-hmm. uh because people are starting to see one another face to face it's not impersonal at the bar of the court mm-hmm. once that uh the room softens, and people start to see one another and understand what happened, the next point is what can we do together to make things right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, with this process we're doing right now uh, with the folk who are impacted by unrest, it's uh, one of the businesses at the table or in the circle has been Brown ShopRite. And I wanna give a serious shout out to Brown ShopRite. They are like the bomb Mm -hmm. with this.
2: Yeah. No, I'm like everything they're into I'm
0: really impressed by. Yes. If if you have to shop <laughs> because uh just having their associates at the table, um and, and, and even uh considering uh their developing uh uh an expanded vision around what to do even after this with situations like shoplifting. Mm-hmm. If you think about it and this came out uh In some of the conversations with just with some browns people uh you think about shoplifting If you shoplift at uh Brown's, you're fined hundred and fifty dollars, you have to pay for whatever was taken uh and now you have a record kind of stuff mm-hmm. right. So those of us who have spend our life with folk in and out of incarceration circles, I mean cycles, mm-hmm. we know that all of those fines and penalties, those economic things, that means the, that mom, papa, granny, all these people are putting money on your books. Mm-hmm. All these people yeah. are paying these fines. Yeah. Yeah. Guess who doesn't have any money left to shop at ShopRite? Yeah. All those people. Mm-hmm. Right. So in addition to restoring a sense of community, there's also a, a a realization when people talk to one another, it's like, you're right. Mm-hmm. Gosh. So so they're looking at even revamping their way of dealing with shoplifting. Mm-hmm. And and our goal is don't call the cops. These mm-hmm. are things we can sort out. They didn't have to call the cops right. in order to sit down with someone who they caught shoplifting. Mm-hmm. You have the conversation. There's a kid that I met at uh, the Juvenile Justice Services Center. She was there because she had uh, shoplifted some Pampers and baby food. And instead of her being charged with a theft, they charged her with a robbery. Mm-hmm. Um, this kid was totally, that was unnecessary. Yeah. You know, totally unnecessary. Yeah. So this says, don't call the cops. Let's come together. Let's talk about it. And now let's see what can we do. Because most of us are going to want to make it right. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of crime and a lot of ways we harm each other is in the moment.
1: I like what you're saying about how um, the emphasis here is really that these practices arise out of the community and they help build community. And they're built out of the community as Mm -hmm. opposed to, you know, the current model where – Th- the police are imposed on a community right. or uh, a sentence is imposed on the community, right. and everything is being done outside and even if so called justice is being done yeah. it, it can often make people feel more helpless because mm-hmm. they haven't been involved in the process exactly.
2: um well i mean i I think we're both going the same direction when i when I think about the difference here there's a lot of there's a lot of waiting there's mm-hmm. a lot mm-hmm. of externality oh yeah um and and like I think one of the things that restricts is is any any imagination you can have towards something else. Like what always happens is people come in and they mm-hmm. fix it, whether or not they actually yes. fix it. Mm-hmm. But they but they come in from the outside, they do mm-hmm. their thing, and mm-hmm. that's our picture of yeah. how things mm-hmm. operate.
1: There are probably going to be people who are going to listen to this or hear about things like this and think, that's not justice. <laughs> and think, <laughs> you know, that it's not, yeah. it's, that justice needs to somehow, that somebody needs to suffer a little yeah. bit. Yeah. What do you think of that?
3: What do you well, say to those people? Uh,
0: first of all, it, uh-huh. it it, I think this is true of all living religions. Mm-hmm. But since I'm Christian, I'll speak from there. Okay. Um, if we look at the example of Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, crucified. I mean, on the cross, the whole nine, and Jesus looks out and says, "Forgive them. They don't know what they were doing." Mm-hmm. So, as Christians, if we acknowledge the reality that We don't know what the heck we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a good place to start. We also have several mandates in the New Testament around reconciliation, around how how does Matthew tell us we're supposed to deal with conflict? Mm -hmm. You know, first I'm supposed to talk to the person, then I'm supposed to bring somebody else in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like all these little steps before you go to the magistrate. Mm -hmm. You try to work it out yourself. Um, so all of Scripture really points to justice being relational, mm-hmm. and justice, uh, and and even and and not even, but with mediation, you know, with 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 the Holy Spirit as mediator, you know, that 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 piece. And since more than nearly eighty percent of folk in this country mm-hmm. check off Christian on their box on a census form, mm-hmm. I believe it's it's really um it's a a great opportunity to kind of push and say, I'm I'm going to sound so 1960s. Okay. (laughs) What would Jesus do? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. But really to push that envelope because we've picked up this, this dumb retributive justice piece Mm -hmm. that has not helped us. Right. You know, locking people up, doing a crack academic. It did not help us at all. Mm -hmm. Didn't help communities, didn't help families. And now we have generations who have been negatively impacted by this. So, uh, if we can begin to uh, to really uh, encourage people to live into faith, mm-hmm. and if sense since uh, if, if we come out of the eighty percent of the Christian community, right. and now we add the the Abrahamic community, Islamic mm-hmm. faith, and the and the uh, and the Hebraic faith, mm-hmm. now we're almost at ninety percent. Right. And, and honestly, if we leave all of those folk mm-hmm. and we go into Buddhism and Hinduism and some of the others, mm-hmm. what we're going to find is the way we have related with the divine in our, in our divine texts. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. They don't support what we're doing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That the, re- the, the instinct toward retribution yeah. uh, is – any major faith tradition mm-hmm. uh, resists that. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I want to preface this by saying that the uh, person who has caused harm is still in some way making up for the harm. So mm-hmm. it's not th- as if that component yeah, is there missing. Is accountability. There is accountability there. Mm-hmm. But I guess grace can be costly. <laughs> um, and I understand it, what we're talking mm-hmm. about here is the implementation of these restorative practices yeah. for, I don't want to say minor, but uh, broken windows, stolen mm-hmm. merchandise is mm-hmm. one thing. But there are people who are going to say, well, how about things like like mm-hmm. murder. How yeah. about sexual assault? Yeah. How about those things? Right. Yeah,
0: they, it still applies. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the things that we want to make sure people hear is that this is this is not the absence of accountability. Mm-hmm. This is actually the presence of of empowering people mm-hmm. who've been harmed the most.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, if uh, and and uh, we were robbed, my my husband and I were mm-hmm. robbed. Somebody came and and, and robbed us, mm-hmm. and. We never saw the person again. Yeah. We don't know we got our stuff back mm-hmm. but we still felt violated. Right. So if we had that opportunity to sit down mm-hmm. and say this is this is how this impacted my family and i do, do you know we have children do you know how scared everybody was mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. just to start to just humanize this whole thing right. uh we still got our stuff back mm-hmm. but now there's some relationship built and and most humans uh are psychologically wired mm-hmm. to connect with mm-hmm. other people. Um, I've got a dear friend and it was a heinous, heinous crime mm-hmm. uh, uh, where uh, her mom was murdered. Mm-hmm. And as it turned out, the person who murdered the mom was, um, had some serious issues and was uh, her brother. Mm-hmm. So a son killed his mother. Oh my goodness. Uh, and, and it was just terrible. Yeah. And I remember how that family uh, now, now this son is in, incarcerated. Mm-hmm. But what happened was this family, uh, this was and is their brother. Mm-hmm. So they worked through the anger, the grief, the pain and everything together. Mm-hmm. And in doing that, they also made sure that their brother had humane treatment mm-hmm. uh, all through the process because he never stopped being their brother. And as it turns out, you know, yes, uh, there there was a, a, a serious consequence that wasn't based on uh, retaliation. Yeah. It was really based on safety. Mm-hmm. This is someone who, who, there are some folk in the world, probably, I don't know the data, mm-hmm. but it's not the majority, whose mental health state or emotional health state mm-hmm. is such that uh, a person could be of danger to others. Mm-hmm. We need to have different conversations about how uh, people can be treated humanely, Mm -hmm. even if they might not need to live next door Mm -hmm. to a family of six kids. Right. Um, Right. But to have that conversation outside of retribution, Mm -hmm. it means that all of us who have been harmed Mm -hmm. have a chance to, to be empowered mm-hmm. and to speak our own voice. Right. Um, an example of this one, uh, we had two young people at the church uh, who, who had, well, they weren't at church. They were in the neighborhood. Uh, they had a fight around the corner, and people knew that Cookman did a lot of this kind of work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, everybody came, you know, oh, Pastor there's Donna, they're fighting around here. So we went around, and one of the kids was on the wrong end of the fight, mm-hmm. got hit over the head with a pistol that the other kid had. Mm-hmm. And had to get some stitches. Now I didn't have to get a lot of stitches, but you know what happens if you right, get right. ahead. So um we went around a corner, uh the kid needed stitches, got the kid to the uh to temple, mm-hmm. got his stitches, came back. I did not call the cops mm-hmm. because everybody knew everybody. Right. So we all sat down in the church. It's like, guys mm-hmm. and we we had about four circles um to say what happened mm. and You know, how did it impact you? By the time the conversation about how it impacted you, and these guys were about 18, you know, they're corner boys kind of guys, big guys. The guy who hit the other kid started crying. Yeah. Because he didn't, he really wasn't thinking. He was caught up. And, yeah. and it was like, man, I, I just didn't want to lose that fight. <laughs> it, it was just yeah. that kind of a thing. Yeah. And then the other guy, you know, he just laughed. And he was like, well, at least you didn't shoot me. You know, and it yeah. turned into that. <laughs> well, yeah. And when it came to what will make it right, yeah. you know, the, the the kid that was hurt or the man that was hurt, mm-hmm. he said, um, I'm 64. kid is relative. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he said. You got blood all over my sneakers. I have to get a new pair of sneakers. Yeah. And I want $50 for pain and suffering.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Uh, somebody from the neighborhood said, weren't y'all supposed to be in school? Uh-huh. Between now and June, <laughs> I want you in school every day. Yeah. Because technically that was a felony offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did call the community relations officer once everything was worked out Mm -hmm. because we needed to make sure that everybody took it seriously. Mm -hmm. So the community relations officer came in plain clothes and he was like, "Okay, what did every and I explained to him what had happened. Nobody was pressing charges because Mm -hmm. there was an option. Right, That everybody had. Do you press charges? Mm-hmm. They, after that conversation, were like, no, man, I'm not pressing charges. Who's, who am I going to play ball with? Right. So community relations officer came in and looked at the contract and, you know, did the um, Andy Taylor speech um, of... I'm not getting this reverence, Chris. Uh, <laughs> Andy Griffith? Andy Griffith, yeah. Okay, yes. yeah. yeah okay. The yeah, sheriff. Yeah, yeah. Of yeah, course. Me TV. Op, you know. So <laughs> anyway, so the community relations officer kind of took that yeah. uh, soft policing approach. Mm-hmm. And, and the role of the community relations officer was really to say, I'm keeping a copy of this contract. Mm-hmm. If anybody breaks the contract, then I have to report this mm-hmm. as a felony. Mm-hmm. And nobody broke that contract. Yeah. And both of these young men, nobody had to go to jail. Nobody had to pay any fines. They both were still with their, their, their families, their kids, living happily ever after. I ran into one of them at a supermarket about, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago. Yeah. And he was like, remember me? Y'all saved my life. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness.
0: It wasn't necessary. He was yeah. caught up. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that that did not require retributive justice right. in order to turn a life around. Yeah. And that's 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 what happens when humans get involved. Mm-hmm. And the other guy he felt vindicated and and he he received something. Yeah. So the fine didn't go to the court. Mm-hmm. It went to him. Yeah. Right. He wouldn't have gotten to mm. <laughs> Right.
3: Of course he, right. gots, would,
2: have paid, he, he gots, would have paid court fees he, for Exactly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And the entire anymore. community would have been more impoverished through that exactly. process. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Wow.
0: Yeah, I know. That's
1: amazing. <laughs> and that's the, amazing. And
0: a, and a part of this that's really cool mm-hmm. is this is the first time that Philadelphia has applied uh, restorative justice, an adult situation where people have been arrested. Yeah. And that is so important because it didn't start out of the city hall. Mm-hmm. It right. started from the city streets. Um, and that's critical um, beyond measure, because what it's demonstrating is that pre-arrest—you know—the the situations we're talking about now—but now the city has experienced post-arrest, mm-hmm. and they weren't really pressing that one before. They were dabbling in pre-arrest, right? But pre-arrest, we can do with without city hall. Mm-hmm. It's post-arrest, so now someone is arrested. And we want people to be able to, at the precinct, mm-hmm. to say, "We would love to um, engage in a restorative solution." Right. Yeah, it makes all the
2: difference. Yeah. And it, having a and having a like, uh, five hundred examples. Yes.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
2: is a great way to like hold that door open. Yes.
0: Definitely. And and right now, you know, the DA's office right now, you know, they're having conversations based on this model. Because Troy started working on this, uh, I think, uh, last winter mm-hmm. when he really started to do the, you know, yeah. that kind of groundwork and everything. So uh, just nurturing all of that means that as soon as the district attorney's office said yes, they had already done a lot of work. And now it's like, OK, we can apply it here, there and there. And that's, that's tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's tre- tremendous hope for us as a city. Yeah. But we have to do our work, and that's why we do the trainings in helping the city to realize—not the city, but helping our residents. Because mm-hmm. our residents will look at the, look at the homicide statistics, well, and course, it's like you're right. not locking enough people up. Mm-hmm. Right. And so what we want to be able to say is, well, number one, you lock someone up. <laughs> Within, what, eight to ten years, they're back home. Mm-hmm. And whatever the anger was— It's festered. Yeah. Other people have died. Uh, It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So. It's only, it's only informed by new trauma. Exactly. So we don't have more homicide because we're not locking people up. Mm -hmm. We have more homicide because of poverty, COVID, uh, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, People are just angry. Mm -hmm. We're locking people up angry.
3: Yeah.
0: The community is angry. The family is angry. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, It is, everybody is not going to say yes, even in the case of this uh, new Philly RJ model Mm -hmm. of uh, Troy Wilson. And you might say, how many times are you going to say that man's name? Because I have a feeling that as this, you know, kind of gets out into the airways, Mm -hmm. it's going to look like this is something that was done by the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's important for people to realize, no, this was done by a person. Right. Who lives in the city? Mm-hmm. Who did what anybody in the city can do? Mm-hmm. Totally. I have a way yeah. of addressing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, knock knock.
1: Yeah, I think we can re- we can probably relate to that in the in the sense in the connection to the Defenders Association, yeah. which has yeah. lent a tremendous amount of support to the hubs. But mm-hmm. we have to continually emphasize the hubs come out of the community exactly. and this right. community building model. It yeah. didn't come from the powers of be. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: Another good reason why Circle of Hope should be uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> a hub I love of the restorative that. neighborhood. Yeah. And in all seriousness, the mm-hmm. uh, the hubs, the neighborhood hubs all have a defenders, um, a participatory defense hub mm-hmm. yeah. as part of all of this. You know, the, because if you look at the work of participatory defense, especially the education work, mm-hmm. yeah. this is because people have a lot of restorative options in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. But the p- people in It's the, about access. Uh, on a porch, yeah. yeah. And there's so many of those options, you have to meet a certain selection criteria. You have to already be involved in the system. Mm-hmm. And we want to say, before system involvement. Mm-hmm. Right. And if there's system involvement, know that this is available. And if someone's arrested, know that this is available.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: I'm um.
2: I'm hoping you can tell us another story about, like, a creative outcome. Because, like... People didn't have to be like, didn't mm-hmm. have to fit a criteria right. and they were working it out with their, their neighbors mm-hmm. to come up with a solution.
3: Sure,
0: Yeah. Um, we had a, uh, this one always made, well, they all make me laugh. I guess. <laughs> um, but there was a bunch of, of, of I'm, I'm, a, I'm just on to own that I'm an elder. <laughs> <These> are, <laughs> uh, there's a bunch of little guys and okay. they, they were probably each six feet. Um, <laughs> but they were 14, 13, 14. And, um, they had gotten in the habit of uh, stealing from the vendor, the particular vendor on Lehigh Avenue. Mm -hmm. And so the vendor was just, uh, he um, uh, is is not uh, a native of the States. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so for the immigrant community, there's often this reluctance to call the cops in the first place. So these young folk were part of our teen center. And so the vendor found out that they were part of the teen center at the church. So, I, I guess he had just had enough so he brought him to the church. Hmm. And it was so funny because it, and he was a big guy. Or well, is a big guy, he's probably still alive. Uh so he brings these guys to the church cuz he says, "Look, you know, we're going to go talk to the reverend. Um, I'm not calling the cops, but if you don't go, I will." Now he wasn't going to, but you know, it's the it's the threat that counts sometimes. <laughs> but when he when when everybody was there and and we're having the conversation, what happened, how were you impacted, and how do we make things right? Uh, The vendor said, empty your pockets. And so they did. Mm -hmm. And between them, they had about Mm $13.10. And he said, I'll take that. And so then he looked at them, and he was like, I made out pretty good. How about (laughs) y'all? But the thing that was neat about it is that I saw one of the kids walking by his truck one day. And um, he's like, yo, Mr. Ali, how you doing? Oh, Jamal, I'm doing good. How you doing? Are you in school? That wouldn't have happened yeah. mm-hmm. if he had called the cops. Right. But they made this relationship. And he was so um, appropriately adult jovial. Yeah. You know, it's not like he was saying that what they did wasn't serious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what he was saying is it kids. It wasn't lock serious. It wasn't lock-up yeah. serious. <laughs> and it showed them his, that he was a human.
3: Yeah.
0: And it broke, it broke down stereotypes mm-hmm. about the guys who run the truck. It made him think. You know, maybe he's a dad. Maybe he's got a thirteen-year-old that's running right. around stealing potato chips from somebody. I mean. <laughs> Who knows? But that every story I have makes me smile. Yeah, and and we can't say that mm. about the retributive system. No, we
1: can't. No, that. When after Jesus rises from the dead and the the disciples encounter him on the road to Emmaus mm-hmm. and he disappears and then the the, the, the disciples say, did, did not our hearts burn within us as he spoke to us <laughs> about cool. the scripture? That's how I'm feeling right now. Wow. Yeah. Because so much of this has been hypothetical for me. Mm. This idea of prison abolition, of abolishing the police. Yes. Yeah. So much of this has been mm-hmm. in the distance. But right. we're here looking at something mm-hmm. that is being born in the soil of our city in these early stages yeah. of something that's beautiful and, and points to the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. Uh that's
0: yeah. amazing. Yeah. yeah.
1: Isn't that incredible? Hey,
0: makes me think about righteousness, peace and joy. Yeah. Um but yeah, and that and that's the other part of it that uh is not is so empowering mm-hmm. because all of these things can be done pre arrest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just think, you know, all of us that are running around saying de incarcerate this and that and the third, it's like don't call the cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? uh-huh. Let's get the black captain trained, you mm-hmm. know. Let's, let's get this closer to home. Right. So uh the the bar of the court and all that other nonsense, mm-hmm. it takes away our humanity, <clears throat> it yeah. takes away our dignity and it takes away our critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like we can work these things out. Yeah. I think I I saw a statistic that uh less than fifty percent of people who are incarcerated mm-hmm. are incarcerated because of a, of a quote unquote violent crime. Mm-hmm. Right. And if we break down that group, probably twenty five percent of that group is incarcerated because they were an accessory to a violent crime, but they, they were not someone who committed violence. Mm-hmm. Um, they were in a the car. They were in a the house. They were a the girlfriend. They were a the boyfriend. Yeah. So now we're up to about 75%.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: My goodness, 75%? That only leaves you with 25% of people. <laughs>
3: right. You know, yeah.
0: Out of almost a million people incarcerated, yeah. now you're down to about 250,000. I think we can come up with something better mm-hmm. for those 250,000. Right. right. But sit everybody else home this is ridiculous uh-huh.
2: and within and within that 25% the the people who rise to the surface for us when we imagine the reason prisons were invented in the first place mm-hmm. whether or not they should have been but like those scary unchanging individuals mm. like they're even just a subset of that 25 yeah. percent.
0: And if and if we're in America and we're having a conversation about prisons, mm-hmm. now we have to look at the history of prisons that came out of slave catching. Right, yeah. we have to go and look at the history of policing, policing mm-hmm. and police dogs that came out of slave catching. Right, um, so we're not looking at uh, the, the European concept of prisons right. when you're in America. Mm-hmm. And so now we're looking at uh that's why when you go in and you see that ninety percent of the folk there look like me mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's like, well, wait a minute, does anybody else does anybody that looks like brother yang or or brother chris right. look like mm-hmm. it, do y'all not commit any crime right and so it it opens a door for a deeper conversation in the mm-hmm. states and and the other um sad de incarceration statistic is that it's different for men and women. Mm -hmm. So women are incarcerated at a a higher rate now. But when you go into women's prisons, it's a lot more diverse. So now you're seeing a diversity Mm -hmm. that's more reflective of the city. Mm -hmm. White women, black women, Latinx women, Asian women. Hmm. So what does it say about the underclass of women that makes us more incarceratable Mm -hmm. uh, at this point? Yeah, yeah. All of those questions we get to ask mm-hmm. as we look at other solutions, right. because what we'll find is where our biases are coming into this, mm-hmm. where um, where our, our our own internalized stuff is coming into this, mm-hmm. yeah, and and even our perceptions of other communities. Uh, are coming into this. So communities that need help aren't getting it because people assume, uh, you know, we had the recent Mm anti-Asian, or not recent, it's probably still going on, Mm -hmm. anti-Asian violence. right? And uh, this assumption of model minority. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want to take that away from your people, but it must. (laughs) Exactly, I don't think it's its own burden. burden. And also it it means that uh, communities of color that aren't African-American are left out Mm. of resourcing. Mm You know, communities in Kensington that might need the same resourcing that a community in the heart of North Philly needs is left out of resources. Mm. So it it causes us, as we relate to one another, to say, OMG, because we will notice those things. Yeah. The judge might not. Right. But if we're in a neighborhood, we're going to notice those things. Mm -hmm.
1: I guess what I'm thinking about is whenever we're talking about something that's unexpected Mm -hmm. or people haven't seen before, Mm -hmm. there's always resistance, Mm -hmm. right? People always want to go back to Egypt. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess that's my question because mm-hmm. I feel like we run into that resistance a lot. Totally, even totally. in ourselves sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for us? How do we push past that resistance?
0: Yeah. You know, see, the bad news is the uh, the only biblical example I have is Acts, mm-hmm. um, and so usually oppression pushes us. You know, think about the church. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, how long could we have been doing Zoom? Mm-hmm. For real, mm-hmm. we're mm-hmm. reaching more people. We've got more people engaged in Bible study. As our offerings have gone up, mm-hmm. and yet. Uh, folk were reluctant to even put their services on Facebook before COVID, right? Right. Because everybody was afraid. If we do that, they'll never come to church. Mm-hmm. Right. Now we have to do it, and we're looking at our role saying, "Oh my goodness, we just reconnected with Arby's and and this one and that one. <laughs> Oh wow! So yeah. apparently, it's it's uh, you know crisis you know mm-hmm. causes us to to do something different. Right. right? Um, I think in a, in the case of Cookman we were working with people in crisis who did not want their children taken away from them. Mm -hmm. And so that caused this particular community to say, no, we want to do something different. Mm -hmm. Um, We're in crisis. We've got a crisis around uh, extrajudicial uh, uh, murders. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a crisis around over-policing, stop and frisk. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a crisis of anger. And I I believe coming out of uh, our COVID season, Mm-hmm. we're I think we are in touch with our anger at a different level mm-hmm. and so we have an opportunity like right now mm. to push that envelope and say we know it didn't work yeah and and I think the other opportunity we have as a faith community is to push the push faith uh, when you talked about Acts and the road to Emmaus, mm-hmm. uh, I thought about the account of Rhoda. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all the apostles were still locked up. Yeah, uh, you know Jesus has risen, y'all. You know, open the door, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but they've got the door closed. And Rhoda's yeah. like, "Open uh, the door, open the door." Yeah. <laughs> the door. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we've got fear, yeah. Uh-huh. And so, yeah. how do we teach and preach and? Right. Uh, and, and 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 also baby steps.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, communities don't have to suddenly decide that everybody commits a felony is going to handle as a community. Mm-hmm. Uh, it might be the next time somebody park you know fights over a parking space. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but as people get that uh, get emboldened by mm-hmm. doing these processes, I think humans in general are like, oh, that'll work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we do it at the community level, yeah, yeah, it'll make a difference.
2: So yeah, there's like I'm I'm just those practicalities are so good to to like sum up. There's um, if if this is a if this is a crisis of imagination for you if you're if you're scared of um, who possibly could be in one of these circles or and like mm-hmm. who who possibly you might have to talk to if, yeah like and all that like. I feel like there's an invitation, or you can you can just invite Jesus into that crisis you're yeah. having. Like, go ahead and have it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead and have mm-hmm. that fear. Yeah, yes, um, and mm-hmm. and see what's actually there for you. Yeah. And then, yeah, I um, this is this is really
0: inspiring. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a, a group uh, that I don't want to leave on that off the table, and that's people who have Megan's convictions. Yeah, okay. um, the. Overwhelming majority, statistically, of sex offenders mm-hmm. are not the people that went and grabbed a kid. Uh, that are uh, uh, pathologically pedophiles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, we're we're talking about the person addicted to porn. Mm-hmm. You know, we're 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 talking about a wide range of people mm-hmm. whose lives are are tragically mm-hmm. uh, impacted. By one type of offense, as it comes down from mandatory sentencing uh, convictions, and and if we can do some of this work, we'll start looking at the data. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a young guy at our congregation; he's not that young anymore. He's in his thirties now, but he he was put away for something he allegedly did when he was eleven. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh! And he was put away at twenty two. Wow! And has a Megan's. Yeah. Because of something someone said when they were five, when he was 11.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Wow. And he has a lifetime, Megan's in a felony. Mm -hmm. But because that is such a taboo to Mm -hmm. even talk about, if we bring these things back into community life, Mm -hmm. what we'll find is nine times out of 10, likely, it's not as cut and dry as we think. Yeah. That these kids aren't always as in danger by you know, the person over there as we think. Mm -hmm. And we'll start to really realize who is uh, causing danger in our neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. You know, I know of a a person who, because we did GED a lot, and we were people who have um, sex offenders uh, can't go to uh, the city's uh, uh, returning citizen uh, program. Mm. So we just started to do this campaign with churches saying, uh, let's let's really look at that. Let's mm-hmm. look at having safe sanctuary policies. Let's let's look at this. So so JJ Peters in downtown, they do a lot of work with people who have sex offense of sex offenses, and we had a GD program, and we were like, they can come to us.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, we we met a guy who uh, he was nineteen. His girlfriend was fifteen. Girlfriend got pregnant. Granny got mad. Yeah. He ended up locked up for like oh, seven man. years with lifetime lifetimings, yeah. mm-hmm. statutory rate. Right. I'm not saying it's good that mm-hmm. he had a 15 year old girlfriend, but he was 19, right? Yeah, and he was in high school. Mm-hmm. So there's all of these nuances that start to come out right. that help all of us to just rethink mm-hmm. and and also to put attention where we need it. We mm-hmm. do need attention uh, focused on a person. Who is uh, a, a, a pathological pedophile? Mm-hmm. We do need attention on the person mm-hmm. who uh, is is a serial uh, uh, who commits serial murders. Mm-hmm. You know, there are things we need to pay attention Absolutely. and we need the resources focused in those areas. Mm-hmm. And if we take them out of the seventy five percent, then those folks are going to get better help. Yeah, and our communities become safer. Yeah.
1: Can we, should we leave it there? Are we okay with that? I'm fine with that. I think yeah. that was. All right. Stop <laughs> one sexy. Good, great. Never
0: go wrong. <laughs> like, where else can we go? Uh, um,
1: so, we like to end our podcast by talking about whatever we're into this week. Um, Chris, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Um, I,
2: I recently spent a lot of my stimulus money on, on gadgets for my bike. Um, I really like gadgets, uh, it gets me in trouble. Hopefully hopefully this one doesn't I I I'm really excited about this horn that I bought for my bike that sounds like a car horn and is super loud. It's hundred twenty five decibels bought, of you, ridiculousness. That is
1: Gosh. really loud. Yeah. Why do you need a horn that loud for your bike? Um
2: so people stop walking into my bike lane wow. and, or trying to door me. Okay. Oh, it might be it might be overboard, it but i
0: might cause an accident. <laughs> <laughs> uh... We'll let you know. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Um, It's just, it's all I've been thinking about this week, Mm. so it's
1: what I'm into. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Andrew, Uh, what about you? uh, What am I into? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, what am I into? Give me, give me one second while I think about it. Pastor Donna, are you into anything?
0: (laughs) I'm embarrassed to say what I'm into. All right. I'm from West Philly. Uh I'm an urban kid. I'm embarrassed to say I've been binge-watching Doctor Who. Wow. Oh, The wow. hokiest, <laughs> hokiest sci-fi. Wait, wait like, Amazing. have you
2: ever before been into Doctor no. Who? Until, like, so no. are you starting at the beginning? Yes. Holy, oh the
0: God. first. Like the hokiest. Yes, the hokiest Whoa. where, you know, the battle scenes are insanely ridiculous. poor. Oh, my poor. God. He's
2: terrible. Oh,
0: my God. Gosh, What it's got terrible. you into it? I don't. It's Satan. That's I don't know. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but I, amazing. I had to find out what was going to happen to these people, mm. and now I'm up to who number three. Wow. Yeah. And wow. I'm upset because they, they, they've lost like 17 episodes, to like the missing yes. episodes. It's like missing and yes. it's episodes. like, what? I can't get the. I, I, yeah, Doctor Who. That amazing. I can't amazing. believe it. Yeah. Uh, you uh, like My
2: favorite part about that is like what a surprise it is to you that you're. Into it. <laughs> I just can't believe it. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, okay, I'll, I'm into this. I uh, Wes once again a recommendation from Wes, but um, on his recommendation, I did I started to read "We Will Not Cancel Us" and other dreams of transformative justice by Adrian Marie Brown, hmm. um, which is. Uh, a series of ep- a series of essays you wrote, or a blog post that you wrote on the uh, on the subject of, I guess, uh, outrage. Cult- well, cancel culture, I guess. Um,
0: we will not cancel yeah. us. Yeah. Huh.
1: Um, so we will not cancel us is what I mean too. Hmm. Um, so um, how do we want to do this without I Beth? Know. Can I say it? Can I say the thing? Uh, do you want to? Do you want
2: No, I'm not saying that.
1: Do, do you want to say the first?
2: <laughs> okay, so. Um, we We normally close out our podcast um, with a couple of things so if you um, if you've been listening and you want to connect with us um, you can find us at colorcorrectionpodcast.com Um there's a contact us section all our episodes are there so if you want to listen to all the back ones um, send us messages we we love hearing from people and we may even we may even read it and and I'll find inspiration from it on a future episode
1: yeah. Uh- Pastor Donna, mm-hmm. thank you so much You're welcome. for everything, for being here, for your inspiring presence. This was truly amazing. It was. Well, I'm um, glad to be out of the house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to find more about you or the work that you do, mm-hmm. is there anywhere you want to send them to?
0: Hmm. www.metropolitanchristiancouncil.com and then our Facebook page, um, Metropolitan Christian Council. Mm-hmm. Like us. And yeah. if you, and remember, if you remember anything else, We um, are totally dependent on donations. Mm -hmm. So if you go to our website, hit the donate button. We'll be thankful. Um, You may just
2: be paying a facilitator.
0: Yeah. With that donation. That's what we do. Yeah. Yeah, we really uh, really do. In addition to RJ, we are also a grant-making organization, and we also make grants to folk regardless of whether or not they have a 501c3. So if there are community groups that are involved in RJ work, um, and especially if they're coming out of a place of faith, and especially especially if they're coming out of the Christian faith. All right. Cool. So. Uh, oh, and our trainings are free. That's the <laughs> other reason. Our trainers are <laughs> not free. Our yeah. trainings are free.
1: Cool. Fantastic. Um, so a special thanks to Joe Mahoney, our audio engineer, and also to Luke Bartolomeo, who manages our website. Tess Patino is our social media goddess, and Jared Selby does our theme song. And uh, with that... I'm just going to do it. Stay black, little mermaid. (laughs) All right. That's Beth's tag. (laughs)